LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning, Steve Allen here with you this Sunday morning, bringing you my best bits from the week. Don't forget, in an hour, I'll be in conversation with two fantastic guests. This week, I'm talking to Phil Daniels, star of Quadrophenia and Blur's Parklife song and video, and Jeff Brazier will be telling me what it's like being a single father of two boys, and he's looking for your help. But first, let's have my favourite bits from the week. And on Monday, we tried to give some financial support to those celebrities who've fallen on hard times. Anthony Costa from Blue. Remember Anthony Costa? The one who urinated over a cash point machine down the road from here. He's been living on £45 a week and sleeping on friends' settees because he's got no money. He said, I had champagne lifestyle but lemonade income. And I thought, but where's, where's your... Now, he isn't sponging off the council. All right, so he's living on 45 quid a week. His parents have got a nice big house. He can, he can stay there if necessary. And you think, what have you done with your money? Where has all this money gone? They must have earned some money blue in their time. They must have done. You know, all the touring, the hit singles, the concerts, they must have... You know, if I mean, all right, so even if they were earning, say, for example, £50,000 a year. That's still £50,000 a year. Where's it gone to? They go out and they think it goes forever. Do you remember Bross? They wrote a book called I Owe You Nothing because they had no idea that they were flat broke. They, were fl- they had diddly squat... Because what they'd done is they'd spent it because their management company, quite legally, had said to them, right, uh, we're going to advance you, let's suppose, hypothetically, a million pounds. They give you a million pounds, they go, we've got a million pounds. And so they go out and they start buying the clothes and they start having the, the limos and they start having all the flash things, which is exactly what, you know, and, and, in, and in their case, they carried on spending. They carried on spending without realising that the million pounds was to fund their lifestyle. So... The house they were living in, the clothes, the cars, the record, the video, all of that came out of the million pounds. So eventually, it got to the end. They went, how, how, how rich are we? They went, you haven't got anything. You've spent it. You've spent it, but we've sold millions of albums. Yeah, but you've spent it. And the, uh, the record label had accounts of everything because they keep it. They keep details of everything that's, that's going on within the, within the business. It's, it's very complicated, but that's how it works. So they ended up with nothing. So it came as no surprise to me, really, that Anthony Costa, and I should imagine... I mean, Duncan James has had a few gigs, but I shouldn't imagine he lives a particularly extravagant lifestyle. Spends a lot of time with gym bunnies down the gym, sort of working out his torso and tweeting pictures of himself. Quite clearly in love with himself as well. And all the other boys. Lee, I, don't, I think Lee was living at home when he did his... Come dine with me. He was living at, at his parents' house, at his mum's house. And that's what happens. They don't earn huge amounts of money. That's why Kerry Coke Toner, she never earned diddly squat out of, uh, out of Atomic Kitten. Most of her money's been, been sort of earned through, through the media, through being a personality, laughingly called. I know, it shows how dull some personalities are. And, and these people don't make any money. Highlight, you know, case in point, Jade Goody. You'd have thought she'd have left millions. Millions. No. No, it was all swallowed up. It was all swallowed up. <clears throat> but it, but they, they don't make the money that you think they do. The only people who make the money are the George Michaels, the people who write the songs and control their copyright. That's the only people who make money. Why do you think all these groups are having a reunion? They've all made nothing. One of the women out of Atomic Kitten, Natasha, I think it is, owns a chain of coffee shops. She's put her money into the business. You know, her and her husband, they own coffee shops, so that's good. 
That's the way it works. You've got to put your money into something that's going to that's gonna sort you out for the future. So Anthony Costa probably must have been delighted when they went, oh, by the way, we're actually... And he, he can't ask anybody else in the group, apparently. Nobody else in the group knew that he didn't have any money, probably because they're also in exactly the same state. I can't see any of them making any money at all. I would think that would be highly, highly difficult for them to do. And yet they toured... And they're treated like stars. Come on, wave to all the girls, thousands of girls screaming, hey, we love you, we love you. And then they're going home to a little bedsit. Because, you know, they say, well, you're touring. But touring doesn't really make any money because it costs so much to put these things on. You need to sell some albums. Did you sell a lot of out? No, not really. David Bowie, I think 20 years after his last album, he's got number one. He sold 94,000 copies in a week. Something that Blue and Bewitched and Atomic Kitten could only dream of. Only dream of. That's the longevity. And David Bowie, I shouldn't imagine, needs to worry about that at all. He probably doesn't need to worry about the money. Because over the years, because he's written things and he's got such a great back catalogue, like Elton John. You're not going to be finding Elton John going broke anytime soon. Because he's got such a successful back catalogue. You know, Blue could have a successful back catalogue, but they never wrote it. And that's the problem. Somebody else wrote their song, so the other person makes the money. Bross. You know, Bross then fell out. They never spoke to each other. We interviewed Luke. Matt, of course, was the uh, the nasty little drunk, if you remember, who pitched up at LBC threatening all sorts of things. And I think the reason... Well, in fact, I know the reason why he pitched up shouting the odds at me was because uh, they said, oh, Bross are going to reform and do a concert in Hyde Park. I said, who in God's name is going to want to go and see them? You know, you'd be better off putting them in a phone box at the end of the M4 and hoping that both fans turn up. You don't hear Bross stuff played on the radio. Because it was of its generation. They might have sold a lot of albums, but it didn't. And, of course, the worst thing is, once they start losing their hair, they cease being the pretty blonde boys from Chertsey. Luke forged a career in in movies and pushed himself out there. And he was down to earth. Thin as a rake, though. But Matt pitched up drunk, shouting the odds and using language like you've never heard before. I mean, really, I I just... I couldn't begin... I wish we'd recorded it. Because I could have dined out on it for about 500 years. The la- Nobody messes with the goss boys. Oh, grow up, pansy. Oh, I get so angry with these silly little people. And that's why the business is so difficult. So when you read about people going... Bre- and then they have to do a reality show. Do you see the other day? And I think I've cut it for our special podcast later. Um, it was Paul Gascoigne, who we set on the programme last week, wanted to go into a reality show. And you think... You're not mentally stable to go into a reality show. You should not be going on there. And as I think Carol Malone said, are you sure he's cured? You don't volunteer. The, the only reason you go on something like that is to make some money. That's the only reason you go on a reality. You don't go on there to prove you can eat kangaroos bits and stuff like that. You don't do that. You go on to a reality show because you've got no money left. And it's a good way of earning a quick bit of income. Phil Daniels will tell you in a couple of weeks' time for In Conversation, you know, the star of Quadrophenia, that when he did the Strictly Come Dancing... Actually, I think I upset him, because there was one piece I'd, I'd remembered from Strictly Come Dancing, when I think, oh, God, was it Craig Revel Horwood, called Phil Daniels common. Which is, like, it's the worst thing you could ever say to somebody. And I think he got really upset about it, because he, was, he said to me, he said, yeah, he called me common. He said, I'd, I'd have gone over and punched his lights out. Because it, and it was just, it's an, you know, you can say to somebody you're working class, because people go, yeah, I'm working class. I come from working class stock. But you say to somebody you're common, I don't you know, perhaps because he's played those parts in films. And he was very upset. But the good thing was, when he did the Strictly Come Dancing, he, um, he got paid, even though he was knocked out first, for the whole thing. They've now since changed the rules. And so, consequently, you only get the full whack if you do the whole show. 
But he said, I was lucky, he said, because I got pensioned off after the first week, he said, and I got all the money. I thought, now that was clever. That was clever. Didn't you go and see Matt Goss in Vegas? Must be earning a tidy sum via his residency. Have you seen what he's working in? A room that holds, what is it, 80 people or something? He's working on, he's, he's in Caesar's Palace, but they've, they've overhyped it. You know, you know I was going to tell you this, because I've told you this before. And uh, Matt Goss is out there, and he's working, I think they're calling it the Gossy Room. And uh, he's doing he's doing standards. He doesn't exactly do I owe you nothing. I don't think he's doing all sorts of, uh, you know, standard. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. And so he's doing it with some some raunchy dancers in a in a room which is they call it Cleopatra's barge, because I think it holds no more than I'm sure it's either eighty or two hundred. Whatever it is, it's it's too expensive. He's not a headline act. You know, if you go to Caesar's Palace, it is the biggest, the biggest hotel you've ever seen in your entire life. And the arena there for putting on people like Cher, they're never going to put Matt Goss in, in, in the arena because he couldn't, he couldn't sell that out for love nor money. And he only does two nights. I think he either does two or three nights. But the, it's, sort of, it's, it's called in the business lots of overhype. Lots of overhype. So you sit there paying a small fortune for drinky poos, watching some bloke going, come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. So that's, that's what he does now. Um, so, and no, I didn't go and see him. But we did, we did go through... The room. I, I have been to Caesar's Palace. Another one here, uh, which says, uh, wouldn't you like to be godparent to Carrie Katona's love child? I don't think she's pregnant again, as far as I know. I don't think so. She's going out with a bit of a wayward bloke. And then there was another story in the Sunday papers about the bloke who's going out with, um, oh, Denise, uh, Denise Welsh, for, from his ex-wife, saying, really, you can't trust a thing he says. He hardly ever works. Well, I don't think we've actually seen him do a day's work as yet. Which is quite funny. We went to the Ideal Home Show. Oh, laugh! We go to the Ideal Home Show, and they always have a restaurant in there. And this time, it's that John Tarode's partner. You know the bloke whose name is I can't remember the bald-headed one, Greg, Greg Wallace. Can't bear him. Can't bear him. Anyway, he has a little restaurant thing up there, and you know it's sponsored by Nor Stock Cubes. I mean, I ask you, you know, supposedly top-quality chef, not really. Uh, who spends a lot of... T- I don't know what's the matter with him. He doesn't look all there in the ed department. He's got a very, very young girlfriend, but he seems to wander from girlfriend to girlfriend. And so his thing, and they've got so-and-so soup, pea ham, whatever it is, made with gnaw cubes. I'm like, oh, God, who's going to pay a top dollar for that? So I can make that myself at home. Thank you very much indeed. I must tell you this story. I get home yesterday from... Uh, no, I get Saturday night, and I couldn't find my front door keys. I couldn't find my front door keys. And I thought, where the dickens... Perhaps they fell out of my pocket. And then I suddenly realised that I'd opened one of the cupboards and I think I'd gone out of a different door and I'd left my... So I, I had to buzz Lynn. I said, Lynn. She went, yeah. I said, can you come down? I said, because I think I've locked my keys in. I can't get in. So anyway, so she came down. She quite clearly had a sherbet because it was a Saturday night. And so we were talking... Anyway, I found the keys. They were in the other side of the door. So I had to go around and open the door. Anyway, got the keys out. And she said, oh, she said, it's been terrible... She said, my poor mum is distraught, she said, because we've had two deaths in the family. She said, and my mum said to me, she said, they always go in threes, always go in threes. And I said, oh, they do that, don't they? They go, so-and-so died and so-and-so died. And they had a couple of relatives die. I said, oh, that's awful. That's awful. I said, oh, your poor mum must be panicking over this. Anyway, I get my post and there's a letter addressed to me. I open it up. My auntie Joan has just died. And so I said, you can tell your mum it's okay. We found the third one. It's OK. She doesn't need to... She said, oh... She said, but look, what are the chances of that happening? My Auntie Joan was uh, 91, and I'm going to go to the funeral. 
because uh, you get to that age now where you lose a few people. She had dementia. Uh, she was losing her sight. To be honest with you, the family have said it was, it was a blessing. She was ready to go. I know it sounds very odd to say that, but I promise you, she was ready to go. She'd seen her, her, her godchildren. She'd seen all, all the grandchildren she needed to see, you know, while her sight was, was there. Now it's going. And at 91, she didn't have the best quality of life. So the family, uh, we've got to wait a couple of weeks for the funeral, but I will be going to it, which is on a Thursday. And, uh, but 91, I thought, was such a good innings. Such a good innings, because her husband, my Uncle Stan, died ages ago. Ages ago. It seems, actually, it seems strange because if my mum would have lived, she'd have been in her 90s now. She'd have, as it was, I mean, she died, you know, in her 60s, very young. My dad was in his 50s. So it's, it's one of those things, but it, it was that third thing. You open up, having just talked about two people dying, and I go, I can't believe it, my Auntie Jonas died. Strange, isn't it? Very strange. The way things go nowadays. The way things go. Sad news about my Auntie Joan, but as I say, she had a, a very good innings. Let's take a quick break here, after which we hear more from Greg Wallace. Oh, go away. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. This week we heard some absurd news about a council who asked residents what their sexual orientation was in a survey about wheelie bins. Well, I mean, in their defence, they are from Oop North. This is a bizarre one. I mean, how bizarre does it have to be for it to get in the newspapers? Householders, this is in um, Birmingham City Council. They're not the brightest pennies in the box up there. But get, you know, they, they get dumber the further up the country you get. Dumbed up. They get to Birmingham City Council and they really are the thickos. Because in a survey on wheelie bins, they asked householders if they were gay or bisexual. I mean, you know, you just can't make it up, can you? Um, Dave Dixon, 34. Are we going to have different coloured bins depending on one's orientation? The uh, Birmingham City Council said they were trying to ensure responses represented a cross-section of the population. Oh, for God's sake, honestly. Who's the stupid one who came up with that one? Another resident said, what the hell has sexual orientation got to do with your wheelie bin? Former Tory councillor Peter Smallbone said it's typical pointless lefty nonsense. Birmingham City Council said it was trying to make the feedback as informed as possible. It says, you will also have noticed, prefer not to say is an option to every question. Oh, how stupid you have to be. I'm sorry, are you gay? I'll tell you what, why do you go round to Birmingham City Council? Hello, anybody here convicted of offences against, uh, against the community? Yeah, probably most of you, I should imagine. Probably most of you. How stupid, are you gay or bisexual? You've got a wheelie bin. What a dumb count. I'm so glad I don't live up there. My God. Oh, you'd have a field day, wouldn't you? Oh, look, here he is, creepy Greg Wallace. Can't bear him. Something the matter with an old man with a jacket that's suited for somebody so much younger, Greg. And here he is out with his, his girlfriend. She looks like she's had a few too many sherbets on the town. And her name is Anne-Marie Stapini. <clears throat> they were out in a restaurant. You'd think, you know, he'd want to stay in and cook for her. But quite clearly, she doesn't want to hang around with the creepy old Greg Wallace at all. And uh, so here he is with a new grill. Sorry, girl, on his arms, which is lovely, isn't it? So happy for you. Old man and, I don't know, somebody who doesn't photograph very well, and that's being polite. It's the best I can manage. It's the best I can manage, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen. I did... Oh, what did I... Oh, I watched the other day. I only got the last ten minutes. I was a bit disappointed. Of The Only Way is Essex. 
And that vile new bag, you know, the one who's, um, she was featured in one of the Sunday papers a few weeks ago. She's like a topless model. She's got a foul mouth on and she's got the thickest brother under the sun who was wearing what could only be described, let's just call it a gay jacket, shall we? And they were having a go at Jessica Wright, which is quite, and, and her, her boyfriend, Ricky Raymantz. Ricky Raymantz, slightly left of centre. And he's a bit like he's swinging more Bobby's way than Jesse's way, let me put it that way. And anyway, this girl, whose name I can't remember now, what do they call her? Anyway, we've all got different names for them. And uh, she was there, said, what do you say about me? She said, I'm just a good-time Essex girl, likes to go out. And, and he said, I think you're putting it on. I think you're fake, which, of course, we all knew. Her. And then a little, a little gay brother chips in. I mean, he was just pathetically stupid. She said, you be saying things about my family. And I sit there with my jaw on the floor, watching these people, <clears throat> thinking, I'm so glad we don't live anywhere near them. I'm so glad, because she's quite revolting, this, uh, this girl. I mean, you know, she's, she knows filth words that, you know, you just don't use in mixed company. And, and the brother as well, who looked like, you know, if he was a feather, you just go, go away. I was delighted to report that well-known fraud, Derek Cora has been wrapped over the knuckles. Uh, because of most haunted, he it shows him being possessed by a dead child. Well, we all know what an old an old fraud Derek Akora is. Uh, Sky point out that in fact most haunted is an entertainment program. It's not real. It's entertainment. Sold as an entertainment. He can't really speak to the other side. He has no gift whatsoever. This is the uh, his his so called psychic powers, or I prefer to call them hoodwinking the public. You know, it's just a load of old toffee. It's an entertainment. You know, can I... Sp- I mean, I'm looking at the producer and... God knows what is that. Anyway, and I'm sort of... I'm thinking to myself, I'm getting a feeling. I'm getting a feeling that... I don't know, I see a small... A small girl standing next to the producer. A small... Do you have a sister? You've got a younger sister? No. Sam, you've got a younger sister? That's what it is. She's moved over. She, she's that. I could see her standing quite clearly. She's got long hair, hasn't she? She got a green dress. Yes, she has. I'm seeing her wearing it. I'm looking, and it's that kind of old baloney that gets Derek Acor and his other crackpot chums on the television. They all sit there and they'll hoodwink anybody. It's a load of old rubbish. But they've said here it shows him being possessed during a séance by a number of people. I wish somebody would possess him, take him away, and drop him out of an aeroplane from on high. He reported ghostly presences at Chatham Dockyard in Kent. God, do me a favour. And appeared to channel the spirit of a nine-year-old boy called Barney Little. Well, the last time we saw Derek Acora haunted, it was by a dog. You remember he sat there with, woof, woof. And you think, you old fraud. You old fraud. These people taking money under false pretenses. It's an entertainment. Sky tell us. It's an entertainment, so that's what it is. We used to do it on LBC as well. We've done it with a number of psychics. Some are fraudulent. Some claim to have some sort of powers. Either way, I mean, nobody gives us stuff. If you want to believe it, you believe it. If, you, if you're an adult and you're in the real world, you don't believe it. But then you probably want to believe it. They're so vague, some of them. There's, and most of them are gay. Have you noticed why so many psychics... Are, what is it about, you know, the gay psychics? Is it because they've probably got mothers who cling on to... Don't leave me, son. Don't leave me. Become a psychic. You could speak to him and I'm gone. Rubbish, isn't it? I don't want to speak to anyone. Once they've gone, I don't want to speak to them. I really don't. Um, and Coronation Street's Ken Barlow. This is Bill Roach, uh, who's been talking about uh, people who sleep with underage girls, and he appears to defend them. He claims that sex abuse victims are paying the price for their behaviour in previous lives. He's a druid, as you know. He's. I mean, I suppose when you get a bit older, you start talking a bit of mumbo-jumbo. And uh, in the case of... Uh, 
Ken, in the case of Bill Roach, sometimes he comes up with things that are a bit barking mad, and sometimes he says something and it's taken out of context. So they've decided to put him on the front page of the Mirror today by claiming sex abuse victims bring it on themselves. He says, everything that happens to us has been a result of what we have been in previous lives, because he believes that we've been in a previous life. I mean, I don't think I have, because, I mean, I'm, I'm not one of these people who thinks that I've lived as, a, as an ant or something like that, or, or a wildebeest, or anything like that. And I, I don't, I really don't, I just don't believe that kind of thing. I don't believe we've lived before. Although I did see my, my doppelganger once on a station. I told you I saw him on a station. What did I watch the other day? Oh, that dreadful programme with Lisa Faulkner, who can't present for toffee, and poor old Benjamin Shepherd. I'm sorry, Ben, can you stand up? Is it possible? This slouching on the programme where you're leaning on... The... Are you tired, love? If you're tired, don't do it. Give it to somebody who appreciates the work. But don't lean on the counter very slovenly. Very, very slovenly. I mean, he was leaning on the counter while they're sort of watching Lisa Faulkner struggle through something. I mean, God knows she was awful. I mean, way out of her depth. Way, way out of her depth. Neither of them. You know, they're probably very good guests, but they're not much copper hosting a programme by themselves. That applies to so many on the television nowadays. But unfortunately, it doesn't stop their agents pushing them forward. So Ben Shepherd now leans on the counter. He can't stand upright. He doesn't know what to do with his hands. You watch him. He'll be leaning on the counter today. He'll be like, ugh, like that. I mean, yesterday they had on... Who's that, who's that girl we like from Daybreak? Kate Garraway. We like Kate Garraway. But they all do the rounds, don't they? They, you know, sort of all pop up doing things like that. But I, I just don't quite understand why Ben Shepherd can't stand... Is something about your legs or something, dear? Perhaps you're too tired. It's very exhausting, isn't it, getting up, I should imagine, and having somebody put makeup on you. You know, and then sort of to watch your, your presenting skills. Fairly limited, I'm afraid. Fairly, fairly limited. Ian Highland... I think we've sort of lost our way with Ian Highland. I, I do like him. I do like him, but he's it's not as it's not as good, I'm afraid. He he does have a killer question for the that well known old baggage, Rebecca Luce. Remember Rebecca Luce who came back <clears throat> a short while ago and uh, she claimed she had a, an alleged affair with David Beckham and uh, she now admits selling uh, the story about her and Beck's and Ian Highland says quite rightly, well, I'll tell you what, love, if you, if you regret it, why don't you give all the money to charity that you made out of it and prove to us But of course you won't, darling, will you, because that's your only claim to fame. There's nothing else you're famous for. That and pleasuring a pig on the farm. What a poor, tatty old specimen you are, love. What a tatty old specimen. And shame on Daybreak for even putting you back on the television. Quite clear, they need to kick up the rear end, don't they? You don't put people like that back on the television. She was naff first time round. Second time round, she was even more boring as well. Um... There's a Britain's most prolific shoplifter. His name is David Archer. Do you know, they had a programme... Actually, that reminds me. There was a programme on the telly the other day hosted by well-known presenter Dominic Littlewood. And uh, he was on there. And he was doing a programme about people who've had experiences with burglars. And it was a couple who got a sweet shop in Henley. And they were being burgled. They didn't know who by. It was late at night. Turned out to be somebody who worked for them. A student. They reckoned that he nicked about two grand. He would climb in every night. He had, he had a key to the shop because he was a trusted employee. And I thought, this is, this is a really good piece of television. This is very exciting. They reconstructed what they did to catch him. But they didn't name the bloke. He was convicted. You know, they, they sat on him. They, they waited in their shop all night. And they sat on him. And I'm thinking, go on, who is he? Tell us his name. So that future people will know that he thieves. But they didn't do that. It was a complete waste of space. Then they had somebody else. 
who was thieving um, scrap iron. You knew what sort of person he was straight away. The people who sort of just load it up and then they get stopped by the police because they put a marker in it. And they go, no, I never did, mate. I got it from here. And he was another lie. And I wanted to know his name. Look, at put his picture up. What was his name? So it's a waste of time, Dom, that programme. Sorry, mate. It's very sweet, but, you know, frankly, you look as creepy as the people you appear to be uh, going after. Other stories in the papers. Oh, we found another con artist. This one's a kung fu expert. And, oh, jeez. That's two this week. We've had a couple of really good ones this week. This one only fiddled 18 grand. By teachers, martial arts. Yeah, Joe. And it's really good. 18 grand. And disability benefits. Of course, he's as fit as a fiddle. Why? Because he's a thief. He's an old tea leaf. He takes it from people who really need it. He doesn't need it at all. He's just one of life's lowlifes. Naming and shaming them one con artist at a time on The Steve Allen Show. Don't forget, in an hour, we have In Conversation on today's show. We catch up with actor Phil Daniels, new film out called Vinyl, and TV presenter Jeff Brazier, who's got a little thing to do with sandwiches. But first, here's the LBC 97.3 News at 5.30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. You're listening to the best bits of Steve Allen from the week. At six this morning, in conversation with Phil Daniels, who was telling us about his time on Strictly Come Dancing. It was sort of, it was good and bad, but the bad bit kind of outweighed the good bit. And TV presenter Jeff Brazier, who not only will tell you about what it's like to bring up two boys by yourself, but also he wants your help with a bit of sandwich making. Okay, but let's carry on with our best bits. This week, we had another so-called celebrity who just couldn't help misbehaving. Do you know Brian Ferry's son? First of all, he has Otis, named after a lift company. And he's got another one called Merlin. Merlin Ferry. I mean, <laughs> you can't help feeling, you know, what the hell were you thinking about? When you know? Anyway, this one's been... Uh, he, um, he, he told police, I mean, God knows who he thinks he is, some little sort of upstart, to investigate real cl- crime. In way we investigate real crime? You know, he probably talks like that. And uh, he was caught with a lock knife. This is the second time he's been caught with a knife. He's a rather stupid, pretentious little prat. And he was warned that if he's caught with a blade again, he'd be locked up in Wormwood Scrubs. And second time in two years. He apparently, he was spared, Jay. He complained having a knife was only a problem on council estates and moaned about having to get up early to travel from his Shropshire home for court appearances. Oh, diddums, Merlin. Is you all right, lovey? Are you making your way in the world, are you? He's not the first son, as I say, uh, uh, Brian Ferry, of course, uh, Otis, the eldest of the four sons. He's become famous for his pro-hunting political activities. I couldn't give a stuff about the uh, the Ferry sons. <coughs> but anyway, he pleaded... <coughs> excuse me, oh, well, shall I be on jury service? He was at Isleworth Crown Court, which where I did jury service as well. And he's been placed on a 12-month community order. Guilty. Thank you. <laughs> you know I love doing things like that. You know I love doing it. I noticed, who was it the other day... Who was in the papers the other day and who's made the papers for today? And I think it's... Is it Peter Shilton who was done for, for drink driving or something? Was it, was it Peter Shilton? I can't remember now. Wait a minute. I shall have to find it. I shall have to find it in here. Give me a couple of minutes. Yes, right. Peter Shilton. He's been... He admitted drink driving. I'm sorry, an idiot of the first order. A complete and utter idiot. But he asked for, for time to pay... Uh, his £1,000 fine. He wanted to pay in instalments. You're taking the Michael? Peter Shilton paying in instalments? 
He sold a court. His finances were complicated whilst he divorced his wife, Sue, because he has a new, uh, a new partner. Her name's Stephanie Haywood. She obviously can't afford a coat, so she turned up with him. I mean, you know, he's 63. He wasn't just a little bit over the limit. He was twice over the limits. What a prat you are, Peter. What a complete and utter buffoon, I'm afraid. It's, you know, you could kill somebody. If you'd killed somebody... If you'd killed somebody, how would you be feeling about it? He'd been boozing with friends during the day at the Essex home of his partner, Stephanie, and told the court he went to move his car closer to the house because he had an early start. But the, uh, a neighbour tipped off the police, and, uh, and there again. I mean, he's been capped 125 times for England. You know, he's got all... It just goes to prove, isn't it? You know, somebody who can be that good and that successful when it comes to drinking and driving... They're complete bozos. But my my finance is very complicated. Don't you have any money in your pocket in your bank account? Don't you ask Bank of Tom and Jerry to give you a thousand quid to pay the fine? You've got off very lightly, pal. Very, very lightly indeed. Brilliant footballer you might have been. On the road, an idiot. There's also a lovely picture. I don't know why, but I'm fascinated by volcanoes. I'm f- I don't know why. There's no logical reason. They frighten the heck out of me. But I'm looking here at, you know, Mother Nature... Uh, and and the the pyroclastic cloud and the sh- and they start they rumble and because mm, obviously very unhappy and then all of a sudden you know, little bits and you know we've all remembered seeing them on the television and you get people standing next to the lava flow and it just engulfs houses everything it just it just is amazing and I sit there watching so you look at this picture of the paper today and this erupting volcano because Etna I believe is still active. It's always, it sounds boring now, but the biggest volcano in the world is, let's test the producer, see if she remembers these things, which is the biggest volcano in the world, which could go, and if it does, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the biggest volcano ever. No, Sam thinks it's Vesuvius, or it's sadly not. Sadly not, love. No, it is, it's Yellowstone Park. It's the whole of Yellowstone Park. The whole of Yellowstone Park. When they've taken the cameras up in space... You can see what it is. It's what you're, that's why you get all these little... That's tourists trying to drink their tea. But they've got these, these um, old faithful and all the rest of it, which goes up every so often. This is an indication of what's going on under the ground. They've got the lava pools there. And if this thing blows, it's going to take, I would imagine, 90% of America out. This thing would be the biggest ever. And so they monitor it. Yes, I mean, what well, lucid hope doesn't want you. <laughs> it depends how much you like Obama. And you sort of watch it. And I've got, I've got um, DVDs of Yellowstone Park because in the wintertime, it's got its own microclimate. In the summer, it's like baking hot and midges everywhere. But then in the winter, they're under about 10 foot of snow. It's quite beautiful. Quite be- but it's the kind of thing you want to watch from the warmth of your sitting room and sitting on the settee with one of those cushions that I bought from the Ideal Home Show. That's what you need, really. You need that kind of thing, to sort of sit there and sort of soak up the whole atmosphere and think to yourself, by God, I'm so glad I'm not there. But if all of a sudden, when you were watching television and and it was able to lower the temperature of your room to match the programme you were watching... Do you remember that, that film? Was it called The Greatest Show on Earth? And it was uh, Peter Sellers and Margaret Rutherford and, they, and a couple who had inherited a cinema in a little town, but they hadn't inherited the big picture house. They'd got the bijou. 
and the bijou was a run-down old flea pit, the like of which, if, if you saw it today, it would be encased in plastic and put in a museum because it was so gorgeous. But they couldn't get people in, so they decided that they, they, they would show a film, but they'd crank the heating up, and it was a film set in the desert. So they cranked the heating up, so people were sitting there sweating buckets in the seats, and then they go to the interval, and immediately they rush out saying, ice lollies, ice lollies, and of course everybody wanted nice, oh, blimey. Nowadays you take your bottle of water, don't you? Everybody takes the bottle of water in to the cinema. I take one, mine on the train. I take it everywhere. I, I do take water everywhere because it's, it's very nice to have. And you can get little bottles of water now. And it's, it's good for you. I keep reminding myself. I bought the scratch and sniff card down. This is so you can work out if there's a cannabis farm near you. OK. Is there a cannabis farm around here? It's a bit difficult to tell, really, actually. I don't know. I mean, so, so they say, and so it's this one that we talked about the other day on the programme. And so, the signs you've got to look out for, OK, these are the signs you've got to look out for. Constantly covered or blocked off windows, OK? Visitors at unsociable hours, could be next door to you. Strong and constant lighting day and night. Constant buzz of ventilation. High levels of heat and condensation. And a strong and sickly sweet smell. People who come in to tend the plants at night. So if you see strange activity, then, you know, somebody could be running. And there's loads of them. Last year was 156,000 of these places closed down. And they're houses in ordinary neighbourhoods. They rent them, and the people go in there, and it's like, like another world. It's like the day of the Triffids come to life. Awful, really. Uh, Alan says, how did your conversation with Jeff Brazier go? Did you find anything to chat about? No, no trouble chatting about anything at all. Actually, we talked about Jade Goody. We talked about the kids. We talked about his career. We talked about we talked about everything. wasn't wasn't much we didn't talk about actually. I think uh, Andy in Glasgow. He says uh, Natalie Fat Cassidy is bringing out a second fitness DVD. Who'd have thought it? Yeah, I know. I know. We we did that on the program yesterday. We were as shocked as everybody else that uh, Fat Girl Fat was bringing out another DVD. First time round, she said she didn't enjoy the experience. Now she suddenly thought, oh, wait a minute, mm, money, money. And in an effort to save even more money, old tight-fisted old Cassidy has decided to dispense with the trainer. She thinks she's so experienced now about diet and fitness, you know, like you, like you look at her and you go, oh, I think I'll be going to you for advice. Like going to Kerry Katona for financial advice. You wouldn't. You wouldn't go anywhere near Kerry Katona for anything at all, actually. And so Natalie Cassidy is dispensed with the trainer. So there she was in the park with the photographer. You know, because you have to get the photographer there just to add a bit of credibility to it. So people go, oh, right, she's really serious about losing weight. No, she stuffs her face. And uh, she's decided she can make a quick hundred grand. Doesn't have to pay the, the person who'll help her do it. So she's doing it all by herself this time round. Because you'd probably pay the fitness trainer, I don't know, twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 quid. Because they're the ones who actually do the work. Natalie Cassidy does nothing. Let's face it, she quite clearly can't get an acting job for love nor money. So she's got to rely on the other thing she can do, which is sort of exploit the British public. I mean, if you're daft enough to... to buy... Well, she, I don't know what she does. Even the producer said, what does she do now? Well, she did a bit on Loose Women. She wasn't much cop at that. You know, I mean, she's... I'm not saying she's the, the, the dimmest penny in the box, but, you know, if it's Loose Women, I'm looking for somebody who can string two words together and come up with something reasonably intelligent. Sadly, she couldn't come up with anything intelligent at all. She's got one of those stupid voices. You know, well, it's a play my trumpet. And so, obviously, the acting dried up. It was like, um, who was the other one, the acting driver? Somebody else, they, they, they went down the route of the, of the fitness DVDs. And that's how bad it's got in this country. Somebody's sort of washed up. She's going to get married to that bloke who beat her up, isn't she? I believe. She decided to forgive him and it's all fine now, which is great. 
But I always worry about stuff like that. I always think once men have been violent towards women, they're going to do it again, I'm afraid. I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Uh, John says, happy belated birthday wishes for you. Sunday just gone. Hope your day was fantastic. That's all right. Yeah, all right. I'm going to make a big thing about it. You know, we'll have cake, jelly and ice cream and a magician popping around. It wasn't anything like that. I've just bought this magic trick, actually. I can't tell you what it is, but I've just paid £500 for it. Producer's just fallen off the chair. Bless her. No, it's, I mean, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd wanted one for a while. I can't tell you what it is. I can't tell you what it is, but I'd wanted one. And then somebody says, because this magician had just died, uh, one of these was on offer. Yeah, because, yes, the bank manager said, I haven't been spending money, so now I'm going to spend £500. <laughs> I know. I've gone mental, haven't I? I've gone absolutely mad since the Ideal Home Show. Cushions, a humidifier. Oh, there's no stopping me. Oh, hold me back, matron. I'm out there. And, of course, I'll, well, I mean, I'm doing it. Just in case the budget goes against me today. I'm sure it always does. The budget always goes against... They say that uh, there'll be more spending cuts. I wonder, really, whether or not, you know, child savers will, will be rescued. I'm hoping they will. I'm hoping that people will be rescued. I don't want... To be honest with you, I really couldn't care less about booze or fags. Makes no difference to me whatsoever. I think if you rely on the budget for booze and fags... I'm, I'm more... I'm... Um, come from? I'm more interested in the... Um, in the petrol going up in price. Because very soon it will be cheaper to drink petrol than it will to drink booze in the pub. It affects people like Duncan because he like he likes it. But of course there aren't any pubs around now. They are literally closing. When I drove a couple of years back now, we, we did a show out at the Queen's Theatre in Hornchurch, as you know. And we drove out there and I drove through the East End and by God, there were more p- pubs that were closed. More pubs that were boarded up. It was just appalling. There's another one that had gone at Shepherd's Bush. Right at the uh, the very end of the Goldtalk Road, which looked to be thrice. But they're huge. These Victorian pubs are enormous. And it'll be turned either into a gastro pub or it'll be flats. That's what they do with these things now. And it's really depressing. God of the days. I mean, I don't know, they survived years ago when people sat there all day nursing a pint. It's so difficult to find a decent old-fashioned pub these days. Let's have another quick break here, after which I have some great news, followed by some terribly sad news. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. This week we had a very special birthday to celebrate host of celebrities who celebrated Twitter yesterday, including, for some strange reason, Gary Lineker. Was that Gary Lineker who opted out of Twitter a short while ago and then opted back in again? How funny. You paid or something by Twitter to sort of go back there and Robbie Williams. First ever tweet was sent by a guy in California, the Twitter creator Jack Dorsey, in 2006. There are 200 million users worldwide, 10 million active in the UK alone. Good luck. I thought there would have been more. Gary Lineker, who's at Gary Lineker, has 1,475,000 followers. He says, I use Twitter... Wait for this, this is an intelligent footballer talking. I use Twitter for the knowledge, the news, the humour, the sport, the ability to eavesdrop on the good and the great, and above all, for the nonsense. Certainly is where your son's concerned, isn't it, love? Poor old George, the rubbish he writes. God, blimey, honestly. Less than intelligent. Less than intelligent. Um, Girls Aloud have... uh, And I read this... um, Girls Aloud have issued a statement um, at, at the end of their, their ten-tour performance uh, confirming... Sorry. Confirming the end, of the, the end of the band. And it says, Dear Alouders, because that's what they're actually called, you know, because it's the play on Girls Aloud, Dear Alouders. We just want to... S- I can't be emotional. 
We just want to say from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. This tour has been an amazing experience. I know, we thought it was hilarious when you kept missing the words, mismiming, all very funny indeed. And the perfect... Sorry, I'll get back into that. The perfect chance to say thank you for being on this journey with us for a decade. I know. I've been through more hair curlers, more hair colour than anybody else's tour. I mean, it's, it's really, I'm quite drained. It has far exceeded any of our dreams. Not that Sarah Harding was there for most of it. Let's face it, off with the pixies, wasn't she? Or in the gutter. Or in rehab. And we hope that you are forever your inspiration and reminder that dreams really do glitter. Your love and support will stay with us forever, but we've now come to the end of our incredible time together. Love you lots. It's finished. Girls Aloud have gone. Hurrah! Hurrah! Hooray! We've finally got rid of the worst miming band in the entire world. Good, good riddance to bad rubbish. Go back to your naff old thing. It did make me laugh the other day. Sorry to sound celebratory, but it did make me laugh that there was a lovely piece of paper. Sarah Harding says, I think the one thing I want to do now is, is do more acting. I think that's, that's what... Darling, you can't act. We've seen you. We saw you in your minor part in St Trinian's. And that's about it, isn't it, love? We saw you in that ghastly film which was panned by every critic, which had a few other people in, which was dire. I think you and Denise Van Outen. I mean, I, I think it, it... What did it took? Threepence on the first week. Give up now. Give up now. Uh, as a band, well past your sell-bys. And uh, as solo careers... I don't think so. Now you're back in the harsh reality. Now you're back in the real world. Now you're back doing what the rest of the country have to do, getting a job. But I suspect what you'll all do is Cheryl will sort of pap around with her sort of little dancer boyfriend, little Trey, uh, so name, well, it doesn't matter. And uh, so Trey, and she'll have to pay for him because he's a, he's a dancer and he doesn't earn any money. And, of course, he's going to be earning even less money now. Because girls are louder no more. Hurrah! Music lovers everywhere are celebrating. Which is brilliant. And what the rest of them are going to do, I don't know. Kimberly will probably stay with, I should imagine, West End shows, musicals. She can go out on tour as a career there. Uh, Cheryl can't do anything. You know, she can do some more adverts for L'Oreal and stuff like that. And, of course, well, the solo career, if you remember, uh, sort of went, went a bit pear-shaped. And so what they've decided to do is, I think they've decided, probably quite wisely, to put it on hold. To put it on hold. A bit like the whole of Girls Aloud. But then I knew it wasn't going to work. I knew it, there was, there was, it just... You know, there's, you know why they went out on tour? They were milking it for the final time. They were doing it to get a bit of, a bit of money in. They were doing it to sort of make themselves look a bit interesting. And it was, it was a bit sad, actually. A bit sad. I'll tell you what was a bit sad the other day. There was the funeral in the East End of um, uh, Bruce Reynolds who was the mastermind behind, mastermind behind the great train robbery. Of course, they make it all now out to be, oh, it was just an old jolly jape, wasn't it? And when you look at how sad, you look at poor old Roddy Biggs, what a sad, pathetic little creature he looks now. In his little wheelchair, you know, he looks like he's about ready to drop his clogs. If only he'd done it some years ago. And then he's, he's sticking two fingers up to the camera, uh, like that. He could barely lift his hand, poor soul. And you look at him and you think, oh, you old crumbly. And then you look at the rest of them. They're all out there, you know... Notorious mourners comforting each other. The funeral was very well attended. I should imagine it was a case of, you will be there for Dad's funeral, won't you? And they had the usual old suspects turn up. Uh, you know, they're all so old now, and they all look so stupid. 
That's the way... It looks quite fun, the producer thought. <laughs> and uh, Duncan thought being an East End gangster would be fun. Yes, of course, it was fun as long as nobody died, but unfortunately... And then you've got that well-known... Well, I don't think his mind's been slightly affected. Poor old Dave Courtney, who sort of... Uh, most people are now saying, we think he's been embellishing his little life, you know, with the craze. Because, frankly, I mean, he doesn't look that old now... And uh, the craze died years ago, and they were sort of fairly ancient and past it. And look at what I've met Tony Lambriano. I've met a few of them. But uh, it's so funny, some of them, they just seem to dress like badly dressed spivs. You know, you look at what poor old David, who might as well be called Davina Courtney. I mean, he's wearing the naffest clothes ever. Where do you get joke outfits like this? Does it come from a mob museum or something? But they all pitched up, and of course, they buried poor old Reynolds in one of these baskets. You know, which is, they're never the easiest things to carry. I know, I've seen people nearly drop them in the past. They all go out there. But it was the, it was a sight of Ronnie Biggs making an obscene gesture. Poor old has-been, honestly. Never mind, love. Failure to the last. Failure to the last. But the rest of them turn up. A lot of jewellery on display. You get a lot of jewellery out there. A lot of black. And and a lot of people. A lot of people. Oh, we've actually got it. Have we got, oh, we've actually got it. We've got the, there's a clip on YouTube, I suppose. Of, oh, it doesn't look at all like Roddy Biggs. Oh, there's some stupid advert. I wish you could skip these adverts straight away. They drive me mad. But they were all there. And so they've got Ronnie Biggs sitting in his wheelchair. Of, you know, funerals, all right. It doesn't matter who it is. I, I couldn't care less, actually. But it, it's when they sort of make a, he went on an incredible journey. He was a crook. He was a two-bit crook. You know, Ronnie Biggs had to come back to the country because he was becoming ill. And he thought, where can I get free medication? I know, I'll come back to the cupboard. They should have thrown him straight back in prison again, which they did. And then his son lied and said, oh, he's going to die within hours. So they let him out. Look at it, frail old sod, poor sir. Look, I love the way he's sticking fingers up to them. Oh, God, it's, it's lovely when your mind goes. First of all, your legs go, and then your mind goes. And there he is. It's, it's, uh, he's loving it. It's obviously some sort of funny little thing for him, isn't it? Whereas, in fact, people just point and laugh at you now, mate. Never mind. And then they've got a few others who say, Dave, Co- I don't know where Dave Courtney's getting his outfits from. There must be a fancy dress shop round there. Where are you getting them from, Dave? Goodness sake, honestly, why can't you just wear a normal suit? They all sort of cling on to their past, don't they? You know, like pearly kings and queens, I suppose. But, uh, at least he got, some, got a few flowers. But it was Ronnie, <laughs> Ronnie Biggs who makes the papers sticking two fingers up. Very funny. Very funny. Uh, i tell you what is going on as well. The V&A Museum. There's a piece written in the mirror today in the mirror um and it's it's on the david bowie exhibition which is at the vna and the reporter here alan palmer has uh, said there's a huge neon lightning bolt taken from the his his makeup which is now they say uh greeting visitors at the normally rather staid vna museum well quite clearly alan you haven't been there for years love there's nothing staid about the V&A at all. It's got the best restaurant and canteen. It's got the best layout of anything. If you think that's staid, you must be off your trolley. You need to get down there, mate. Educate yourself. What an idiot. Alan Palmer writing and calls it staid. They've had, they've had more top exhibitions than you've had, you've had centre features. There's nothing staid about the V&A. Obviously, he's one of these old fuddy-duddies, I should imagine. He's probably not been to a museum in ages and hasn't got any idea what goes on. Young people, join there now, Alan. That doesn't include you, of course. But no, there's nothing staid about the V&A. It's got the, uh, the Bowie exhibition. Of course, David Bowie has not seen the exhibition or made any contact with anybody from it. He's given them access uh, to use the archive. He took a back seat, and that's it, because that's part of the mystery that David Bowie likes to create about himself. You know, all these years later, he gets an album and it goes to number one. 42,000 tickets are sold. There is still... I bet you anything, 
people will now be going on to Amazon and YouTube and iTunes and downloading David Bowie albums because Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, their albums just full of fantastic tracks. Full of fantastic tracks. I mean, I grew up with David Bowie. Well, not actually with him. He was in a different house. You know, I was like miles away. Wouldn't even meet. I don't even know him. Don't even know him. But there was something about the music. Everybody loved it. You know, from Gene Genie all the way through to Aladdin Sane and uh, Ziggy played guitar. <laughs> I could do a fairly good impression of David Bowie, but I, I won't bother it. I won't bother you with it now. I could do a fairly good one of Girls Aloud. Goodbye. There you go. It's my Girls Aloud impression. Uh, thank you for all the glitter. Yeah, right. And the alcohol and the falling down in gutters and the rehab. And thank you for helping us mime. And uh, thank you for giving us Cheryl Cole. <laughs> and thank you for giving us all those other nice people and our fans as well who are called Alouders. I've never heard of that before. I didn't, I didn't realise that they had a name. I, I had my own name for the Girls Aloud fans, and it certainly wasn't Alouders, let me tell you. But there again, we had names for the Bross fans, Beatles fans. Beatles fans were just, I think, called Beatles fans. And so Girls Aloud, they're called Alouders. Makes it more interesting. But anyway, they basically stuck two fingers up to you because you didn't support the tour as well as you could have done. And I believe one of the gigs had to be cancelled due to complete lack of interest. Bit of a shame, isn't it? Bit of a shame. And... Um, Another one here. Jamie says, in the news bulletin, Rupert mentioned the Archbishop becoming the head of the Anglican Church. Isn't the Queen the head of the Church? Well, she's the head of the Church of England. It's a, it's a figurehead position. So, uh, who is the boss? Well, it's a bit of a difficult one, actually. It's, God is the, is the boss. When it comes down to it, ultimately, he is the big boss. He's the one who decides. He's the one who sits on the cloud and goes, It's you! And that's and that's how it works. There's, you know, the obviously it's it's a figurehead. It's like you know the Queen addressing Parliament. The speech is written by the Prime Minister's office. The Queen doesn't sit down and go, "My fellow countrymen, I'm delighted to be sitting here with you again today, wearing some very very expensive clothes." It's uncanny, isn't it? It's uh, you know sometimes it's almost as if she walked into the room. Good morning, Your Majesty. Hello, Steve. You know it's it's almost like she was sitting down here. <laughs> Not really. Not really. Well, perhaps I can't add the Queen to my repertoire of impersonations. Don't forget, you can download the full podcast of the show from the LBC 97.3 website. That's lbc.co.uk. As well as the free extra podcast, which is up there every day. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. I'm back tomorrow morning from four. After the break, you'll hear from Quadrophenia star Phil Daniels and TV presenter Jeff Brazier for this week's In Conversation. But first, the news at six.